Hi, I'm Howard County Council Member Christiana Rigby. You're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. We are doing an after dark edition here on Thursday, April 8th, as we approach the end of the 2021 legislative session. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, a lot to get through tonight. We're going to talk police reform. That was a big story over the last couple of weeks. It really ramped up. We'll get into what is ahead in the final few days of session and some of our our bills that we have highlighted, and, and we'll get into some updates as well. But Let's get right into it, Michael. First of all, police reform was was a big deal. You were following all those bills. That's been the the big story around town. Yeah, it's it's been a big thing. I've I've been on assignment today in Annapolis and talking to a lot of stakeholders and a lot of legislators, including police reform, but a lot of different issues. So trying to embed that into our pod for tonight. But happy to be recording with you on after hours. This is pretty exciting. The biggest story was really just, you know, the process and the back and forth between the House and the Senate. And if you follow this stuff and you maybe are a veteran of Annapolis, if you thought you knew what was happening at the end of last week, it turns out you had no idea. Yeah, I, I think that's that's really the bottom line. It's I think a lot of us felt like under ordinary circumstances, the House would have their proposal, the Senate would have their proposal, and usually it's one House bill, one Senate bill, maybe they're different. You go to a conference committee with a few appointees from each side and you work out the differences. So in this circumstance, there's a couple things that are different. Number one, the substance of the House ideas and the Senate ideas seemed pretty philosophically different. So that's tricky. And then number two, you just have the mechanics of the House had more or less bundled lots of ideas into one big bill, and the Senate had passed a suite of several different bills where where there was one centerpiece idea, but then there were a number of sort of localized components that were one component of what you might think of as police reform in each of I don't know, it ended up being four or five separate bills. So that that's a that's a misfit for the usual. Let's take the House bill and the Senate bill. Let's work it all out in a conference committee. This is different in a lot of ways. And that led to things being complicated for stakeholders like us. Right. So mechanically, that that is quite different. It's not what you'd normally see, you know, a number of bills on one side and then just one big bill on the other side and then sort of picking and choosing which bills one of the sides is going to pass and trying to to mend all this together into a package that works here, Michael. And so there was a lot of back and forth between the House and the Senate, which bills were moving, which bills weren't. I mean, talk a little bit about that process. I mean, it was it was a long over the weekend. There was a lot of back and forth again, but it all got worked out eventually this week. Right. So I would say let's keep an eye on the clock. If we are counting down until the end of the regular 90 day session, um, some of this becomes important 
because a lot of these police reform issues, even though they have had flashes of being bipartisan at various points in the debate, they have a partisan element. And because we have a Republican governor who might have some philosophical inclinations along with the Republican legislators, keep that in mind because Governor Hogan might be inclined to veto one or more of these multiple bills. So if you think about that as a timetable issue, the end of last week was awfully important. And people like us were thinking, well, the legislative leadership probably wants to pass these bills with enough time left in the 90-day session so that the governor must decide what to do within those 90 days and let the legislators react to that and maybe override a governor's veto before they go home at midnight Monday. So if you're thinking in those terms, a lot of us felt like, oh, like this last Friday and maybe Saturday would be the end of the debate for purposes of putting a bill on the governor's desk. And I, I confess, at the end of last week, I was completely sold. That clearly has to be the plan. The Senate is just going to send a bill to the House, and the House will roll over and say this is fine, and everything's good. It all goes to the governor on time for that window of time for the governor to act within the 90 days. But, Michael, there's talk of the General Assembly maybe extending the session if the governor weren't to act on either vetoing the bill, signing it, or letting it become law without a signature. So so we're into the vagaries of Maryland constitutional law and structure of government questions, which I find interesting, but to which I don't think you and I have any kind of definitive answer. So things didn't get sorted out last week. The bill was still back and forth between the House and Senate until the middle of this week. It wasn't until Wednesday the 7th that the General Assembly finally passed their own versions of all these different bills. So it's Wednesday the 7th is when things are delivered to the governor. We're done. It's passed. It's up to you. So that's that's not within that window of time for the governor to have only, what is it, six days without right. counting a Sunday? That's right. what it is. So, you know, for the governor to act before the end of the General Assembly being in session. So now we're into semantics and terminology. What if the General Assembly were to extend its session beyond the 90 days? Does that extend the window? that basically confines the governor to act within that six days. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure that lawyers know the definitive answer to that. I'm sure there are people, you know, you know, licking their thumbs and leafing through old law books, trying to figure out what the case law says and what the statute says and what the constitutional authors, you know, meant and said and so forth. But as we sort all that out, here we sit with the bills are passed through the General Assembly. The, the governor has suggested, I mean, as, as we discussed this on Thursday evening, governor suggested he's not happy. So I don't know. I, I would say the smart money is that the governor vetoes one or some or few or maybe all of these bills. 
But in any case, the General Assembly already passed them with supermajority votes. So if the people who voted yes on Wednesday continue to vote yes whenever they're called upon to do so, they have the votes to override a governor's veto. So this is, I don't know, I hate to say it, but it's sort of ceremonial rather than substantive. It sounds like the legislature can override this veto, right? Right. I, I don't think there's any question, as long as they can hold the votes, which I don't see why they couldn't at this point, that they do indeed have the, the votes to override a veto. And I mean, Michael, we don't know what the governor will do. The governor today did veto some legislation, so he started uh, to veto bills. But I mean, at this point, I mean, there's been so much back and forth. This has been a long and drawn out process. It, it, the governor could just veto this bill, you know, this week or, or, or you know, even Monday and they could maybe override it while they're here. What are your thoughts on that? Or, or again, the governor also could, could wait until they leave town. Or, you know, as you mentioned earlier, there would be a question about, well, what if you extend session? Does that oblige him to do it? I mean, what, what is the path forward here, do you think? Yeah, I, I, th- I think there's multiple paths forward. But I think if you, you know, if you put my, my hand over a candle and, you know, Hats off to G. Gordon Liddy. If you put my hand over a candle and made me say so, I think what I would probably say is I think the governor will veto some or all of these bills on Friday. So maybe mm-hmm. by the time people hear this podcast, maybe this, this will all be in the rearview mirror. Maybe the governor vetoes the bills on April 9th, and that gives the General Assembly a window of time over the weekend and on Monday to override if they are so inclined and not have to go into some elaborate extended or special session just for purposes of doing this particular piece of business. Maybe that's the middle ground that we collectively find here. But I think the governor is going to object to some of the components of some of these bills and the General Assembly will probably say, we've already made up our mind, we voted for this bill and we're going to continue to do that notwithstanding your veto, so we override the veto. I I think that's probably the smartest money right now, is that this all gets passed, notwithstanding the governor's objection. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, you know, put this issue to bed is probably good for the governor and the General Assembly. The governor, if he decides to veto the bills, we know at some point the General Assembly has the votes to override the veto. So put it to bed. I agree with you. Michael, let's get into another issue big issue in Annapolis and for county elected officials for MAKO, and that is broadband. One of our legislative initiatives, and we've talked about it on the podcast, is making sure that we expand broadband services to people that don't have access. And we know this is an issue in every single county. Happy to report today, Michael, that MAKO's initiative bill cleared the General Assembly. That is a big deal for expanding broadband. There is another bill that we expect to pass that also advances, you know, broadband expansion across the state. So we mentioned last week, there was a bunch of federal money coming down. Some of that's been dedicated to broadband, but really good news on the broadband front, which is a huge, huge issue for everybody in Annapolis, it seems. Yeah. I I think, first of all, when, when MAKO goes about our sort of summertime process of deciding what issues should we proactively put before the General Assembly as county priorities. So we do that every year. We have ideas bubble up from our professional affiliates and from our elected members and so forth. And we always get dozens and dozens of different ideas in the mix. 
we try and refine those to a short list so that we want to have one page of, of hot priorities. But during this pandemic, you know, public health kind of stuff is a no-brainer. But at the same time, we heard from counties large and small saying, we've got kids who are learning remotely. We have businesses who are trying to do their work remotely that the idea of having a stable internet connection is not just a luxury, it's a necessity. And heaven forbid we have our school kids driving over to Wendy's to try and get a connection so they can do their homework. I mean, nobody's mm -hmm. interests are served when we have big pockets of weak connections. So broadband rose into our list of top priorities and I'm really proud and excited that the General Assembly agreed with us and endorsed one of our big initiatives to say we need to make big steps forward and advance the build out of broadband across underserved parts of Maryland in big counties and small, urban, suburban and rural. We need to reach Marylanders everywhere um, to see that the governor and legislative leaders are on board with this when they're talking about allocation of federal funds, but also with state policies on how do we do literally the nuts and bolts of laying the cable and the fiber to make this work. I'm, I'm really happy to see we have so many allies on this issue. Yeah, a lot of work when goes into this issue, a lot of allies, you know, we're not the only ones interested, of course, in making sure that more folks are connected. So yeah, it, it's a big deal. It's a big issue and happy to see that everybody's on board. But big win for county governments, for the state government, for students, for the workforce, just about everybody in Maryland yeah. benefits if we can get more folks connected, right? So big deal there. And that's good to get that wrapped up before Sonny die. And speaking of that, Michael, I just I want to get in now to, to what the next few days look like as we approach Sonny die, which is Monday at midnight. You know, what does it look like over the weekend? I mean, we, you know, usually the House and the Senate are in here on Saturday before Sonny die. You know, but I don't know how much is really left out there. The Senate was meeting tonight. The House did not. I mean, does that sort of tip the hand of maybe there's not a ton left to do here, Michael? Of course, stuff can get out. But it, but over the next few days, I mean, what do you expect to see here? Is this a normal end of session? I, I guess my diagnosis as sort of like the historian of the group is this is increasingly close to being a normal session. I mean, we have all these safety protocols and timing restrictions and so forth. But in a lot of ways, this feels, you know, forgive me, but fairly normal. Um, there's lots of House bills that are in the Senate. There's lots of Senate bills that are in the House. There are a lot of things that there are relatively minor differences that have been sent to a conference committee to let's see if we can get a few delegates and a few senators to work out the differences and let's iron it out and we'll both agree on the final version of the bill. Right. All those sorts of things, the arrow points towards work it out by Monday night. So for, for those of us who like play this game, and we watch dozens and dozens. I mean, if you work for Mako, you know this, Kevin. You work for Mako. We have this giant portfolio of things that we care about that might affect county governments. They might benefit us in some way. They might interrupt some of the things that we're trying to deliver locally. But we have 
a stake in dozens and dozens of things before the General Assembly in any given year. And at this point, we're down to, you know, this is day, whatever, 86 or 85 of the of the 90-day legislative session. And you would think almost everything's done. But the fact of the matter is, there are a few things that are dead. There are a few things that are passed. And there are a lot of things in some weird middle ground where it seems like that's probably been skipped over. Or it seems like this is on its way toward passage. But... You just need to make sure that bill that's on its way toward passage, it still needs a few more yes votes. And that bill that seems like it's dead, well, we need to make sure that it stays dead, that sort of thing. So stakeholders like us have an awful lot to watch over these last few days. I know my list of things that I'm concerned about started out with a few dozen things on it, but I still have 8, 10, 12 different things that I'm keeping an eye on. I'm sure you do too, right? A lot of issues out there that that we track that we take positions on. So there are quite a few issues out there. And I think you mentioned a lot of House bills in the Senate, a lot of Senate bills in the House. Procedurally, there is a lot of work to get through just to move the bills back and forth. But I mean, one of the big issues I think that's still lingering out there, Michael, that really is not a Mako issue, but interesting generally, we've talked about it at sports wagering. A number of states have implemented sports wagering. Maryland voters uh, at the last election approved the idea. And then it was up to the General Assembly to come up with how we're going to roll this out, what are the regulations going to be, etc. And at this point, Michael, uh, the House and the Senate are on two different pages, although the Senate has now moved on its bill. The House had done theirs a few weeks ago. But I think that's one of the big issues that's still lingering out there and that you know they still have a, a long way to go to get on the same page. But that seems like one to me that's a high profile issue that may go down you know, to sign die to the evening on Monday or on Monday evening. Yeah, I, 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 it seems to shape up that way. And talking to a number of legislators who are part of this debate, it, it, it has all the components of a debate that'll go down to the wire. So, I mean, for our, I think our loyal listeners will remember the evolution of this topic. The United States Supreme Court more or less ruled not that long ago that, as it turns out, our federal prohibition on the states being involved in things like sports wagering, that doesn't seem really to be a fundamental federal rule. So the feds ought to get out of the way. So suddenly it's not just going to be Nevada, but other states could do this. And it became an activity for states to decide whether to engage in. For Maryland, that required a constitutional amendment. So it was on the ballot for Marylanders to vote on in the fall of 2020. Uh, We did so. We approved that change. And now the, the landscape is open for the General Assembly to put together the nuts and bolts and say, here's going to be the scheme of how we do this in Maryland. So we're on that that final phase of build the system now that everybody's given the A-OK. But even that has turned into a complicated matter of exactly who ought to receive a license and how many and where they ought to be and what the nature of the business or the the uh, the establishment that would receive a license to do this and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm no expert in the details, but talking to the people who are steeped in this, they're super deep in it. And it's 
one of those topics that there's a lot of passion about, uh, there's a lot of interest in, and I, I still think it's probably wise to think this will pass, but uh, you, I, I think your forecast that this may be a Monday night kind of thing as opposed to we solve it on Saturday morning, yeah, this might be down to the wire. Yeah, so, I mean, the big the big difference is the Senate essentially lifts the cap that the House put in place on the number of pe- folks that could get licenses. Anytime you're dealing with gambling, there's going to be a lot of people who are trying to figure out who should get a license, who shouldn't get a license, how much did these licenses cost, how long should they last. And so basically the House came up with an idea that we're going to cap all of these licenses. The Senate lifted those caps. And so that's where they are. I do think they're going to get this figured out by the end of session. There'll be some compromise, but a lot of stakeholders here, it's big business. So, you know, there are a lot of issues to work out, but I foresee this one as, as you said, I think it is a good, it's a good forecast. This is going to go down to the wire, but Michael, the next few days obviously will be busy. I agree with you. This is turning out to be sort of a normal session as we reach the end. Obviously it's things sort of seemed more normal as session went along, but I feel like at least when it comes to the business on Signy Die, it'll be pretty standard where they'll just be on and off the floor all day and moving things back and forth. I think it'll be, you know, like we've seen most every other year except last year, right, where there wasn't much fanfare at all. But yeah. I think they've done a really good job making sure that they could hold the session and do the people's work. They've had all these safety protocols in place, the testing, you know, it's been it's been a really, really arduous process, but they seemingly have figured it out. And so I think there'll be some sort of, of muted maybe celebration, but a job well done to get the session done and in the books as we have a few days left. Yeah. Uh, so, and and as far as those of you who are listeners trying to make sense of this, that means a very chaotic Monday, even though we're talking about this as, uh, it seems like it's going to be normal and easy. Uh, Monday as the last day of a 90-day session is typically very chaotic, meaning the House of Delegates is on the floor at 10 o'clock in the morning for 45 minutes. They do a bunch of work, including a lot of things that get sent to the Senate. Senate comes in at 11 o'clock, and they work for two hours. You know, the House comes back at 11.30. They're on for three hours. The Senate comes back at 1 o'clock. They're on for three hours. They're sort of on and off the floor and intermittently being sent back to committee to do some committee work, sometimes a committee will have to advise on whether, you know, does our Senate committee recommend that the full Senate accept these House amendments to a bill? Like those sort of questions need to come through a committee process and so forth. So I I don't know. I mean, it's been a long time since I've been staffed in the Maryland House of Delegates, but this is one of the most energetic and frazzling and difficult times for staff and for members of the General Assembly um, it's, it's a chaotic and difficult time. It's a time where a lot of things get done. Some things get lost in the switches. So I don't want to minimize when we say this feels normal. It might be regular. Who cares? There's a lot of stuff. When we talk about those house bills stuck in the Senate, they still need to come back to the house for approval because the Senate made changes and so forth. There's a lot that happens on this very last day of session. And candidly, a lot of opportunity for pretty good ideas to lose out because they didn't make it all the way through the process. That happens too. Yeah, we've seen that a lot. And of course, there are a number of big issues for county governments that we still need to resolve that are either sitting in the House or the Senate and we're trying to get them out. Or as you mentioned, 
keep bills in the drawer that we want to stay in the drawer. But there are always some big surprises in the fa- in the final few days, Michael. As you mentioned, things can move quickly on signy die. They can do things like suspend the rules to hear two hearings in one one session. And so, you know, I, I think that we obviously when we say normal, like you said, it means chaos. <laughs> and that's how I that's how I envision Monday going. So. <laughs> we'll, we'll uh, we talked about a lot of big issues, including you know police reform and broadband. We'll link all of that in the blog, Michael. Too much to sort of get into on here about what all the bills do, but you have some extensive coverage. We have great coverage on broadband and sort of what's still lingering out there. So we'll put out all, all that on the blog for the listeners. But anything more before we wrap up here and go into these final few tumultuous days? I'm I'm stealing myself for a few difficult days down the stretch, as they always are, but. This is a big part of where the General Assembly figures out its priorities. And those of us as stakeholders, we need to show up and argue our case and from time to time say this isn't ready to go. But other things, let's get it finished up. Let's do all of that. All right. Sounds good. So we'll leave it there for this episode of the Conduit Street Podcast After Dark on the final days of session. If you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and then, of course, the Conduit Street blog. But until next week, this is Kevin Canale signing off for Michael Sanderson, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>